The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. All right, I invite your attention this morning to the small New Testament book of Philemon. Philemon. Uh, this is a book right before Hebrews. If you are visiting with us, feel free to use the, the Blue Bible in front of you. I believe it's on page 1,000, if I'm not mistaken, in the Blue Bibles. Uh, but we are in a study right now. Uh, we're ending a study this week and next that we've done the last several weeks over a gospel-centered church. And we're in this book of Philemon. Uh, if you're from the South, I heard it called Philemon, and so uh, whatever you call it, it's that book. It's Philemon, it's there. And you know, as we open this up, I, I wanted to share a little bit of tidbit of history with you. Many of you may know this man. Uh, this man is very famous. Actually, if you have a $100 bill, you've probably seen this man before. His name is Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin, like many people of his day, was very much into self-discipline very much trying to keep himself on a pattern so that he could live a better life. And I want to give you th a lit quick list of 13 things Ben Franklin tried to do every day, and he recorded this down whether he met it or not each day. You ready for this? He wanted to do this list. He wanted to be temperate. Basically, he wanted to be nice with everyone at all times. He enjoyed silence. He enjoyed order. He wanted resolution. He wanted frugality. He wanted industry. He wanted to work hard. He wanted justice, sincerity, moderation, and maybe we need to add this to our list, cleanliness, husbands, tranquility, chastity, and humility. You know, it's interesting because Franklin would write these down every day, and he would admit in his autobiography that he rarely ever met these. But what's interesting about this list is one word that we're going to study today is missing. It's the word forgiveness. Think about this. Forgiveness is actually something missing from this list. And the story with Ben Franklin is, many of you may know this, he had a child out of wedlock about 30 years before the American Revolution. His name was William. And as it would be, William, his son, became a big player in politics in England. And, of course, England was over America at this time. And uh, basically, his son returned to take over New Jersey. And when the American Revolution started, you had kind of a parting of ways. Ben Franklin on the American side and, of course, his son on the English side. And his son eventually was captured by American forces, and they sent him back to England. And Ben was so furious that his son stayed on the English side after being captured. He never writes about him. He never mentions him again. He never says a word about his son William ever again. Isn't that interesting? Out of all those 13 things he tried to do every day, the biggest thing in front of him that he forgot to do was one word called forgiveness. Friends, do you find forgiveness difficult like that? That's a tough story, and many of you have heard that before, but forgiveness is undeserved, isn't it? Forgiveness is can't be earned, but forgiveness does require you to do something. If you've been hurt, if you have been the recipient of forgiveness, it requires that you absorb different sins of another person and release them from the penalty and liability to punishment. Reminds me of a verse from Mark 11 that comes up very often when we study this passage in Philemon. Jesus said it this way, Mark 11:25. and whenever you stand praying, forgive, 
if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your sins or your trespasses. Friends, this is exactly what Christ came to do. Christ didn't just write us off in his autobiography, so to speak, in the Bible. He actually forgives us even though he knows we've done bad things. He secured our forgiveness by taking the wrath of God for us, as we just sang about. But let me ask you again, do you find forgiveness difficult? Is it hard for you to forgive? I think we would all raise our hands and say, yeah, pastor, it's hard sometimes to honestly forgive. But can I ask you another question? Do you wish the pain that you're feeling to try and forgive someone would go on that person? That's something I think we all struggle with at times. The big idea, the, the main thrust of the sermon, I think, comes out of this passage, right, or this phrase right here. Friend, if you're reluctant to forgive those who repent, those who turn around, those who ask for forgiveness, you may prove, we may prove that we've not truly experienced God's forgiveness. And that's kind of where we're at in Philemon. If you were here last week, you know that Philemon is a slave owner. And this runaway slave of his, Onesimus, runs into the Apostle Paul. And somehow through all that, Onesimus becomes a Christian. And now Paul is writing to, to Philemon to forgive and let come back Onesimus at this point. And what we can understand is what God has done for us in Christ becomes the foundation for what is going to happen in this letter as we'll see today. And last week we saw that forgiveness starts in the church. Forgiveness starts in the church, the context of the church. Forgiveness starts with the foundation of the gospel. You forgive others because Christ has forgiven you. Third, it was a practice of prayer. You know, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Pray one of the hardest, most radical things he could have said in that day. And finally, love. But today, Paul is getting out of the introduction, and he's moving into asking that request. He's moving into asking Philemon to do, in most contexts, what would be the impossible. To forgive someone who seriously, seriously wronged him. And Paul has to make a choice. Does he just say, oh, it's no big deal, Philemon. I'll keep him with me. We're not going to see that. Actually, we're going to see Paul urging him to forgive this runaway slave of his, Onesimus. Chuck Swindoll, I think, summed this up best. I'll, I'll read it again, the same as last week. This whole letter can be summed up in four short lines. Paul greets Philemon and all at his place. He praises their conduct and wishes them grace. He pleads for Onesimus calling him son, and pledges to right any wrong he has done. Wouldn't that be the prayer for all of us, that we don't have the Ben Franklin where we write someone off for history because we don't want them there. Friends, Onesimus had become a Christian, and boy, does that change everything about this letter. When you know Christ, when your eyes are unveiled, doesn't it change everything? And we will see that today. Would you join me in standing as in honor of the Lord's word? If you're able this morning, we stand just as a way to honor God's word and reading of his word this morning. We're going to start in verse 8. Um, actually, you know what? Let's start in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 16. I know that's a, a lengthy section, but it's good for context. Let's start in verse 1. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray 
that the sharing of your faith may become effective or may be effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Here's the passage for today, verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me so that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might be by compulsion, not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he has parted for you from a while, that he might have you back forever. You might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, and especially to me, and how much more to you, but both in the flesh and in the Lord. Don't you just love hearing this eavesdrop on these letters of what God did through the Apostle Paul? This is a rich text, folks. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. And we're going to see three things through repentance. We're going to look at Paul's example, his authority, Onesimus' example, and God's purpose and see how repentance plays a part in this thing called forgiveness. Let's go before the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you so much for this passage, Lord. Thank you so much that in your sovereignty you have preserved these words for us, the imperfect, infall- or perfect, rather, infallible word of God. Father, we thank you for that. Thank you. I pray for anyone in here that is struggling to forgive or, Father, perhaps the reverse, to be forgiven. And even though they have been forgiven, to accept that forgiveness. Father, thank you so much that you have forgiven us and you did not write us off. Father, although we should have been written off, Lord, you sent us your son. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray this all for your wisdom and for your sake in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it's a very interesting thing, and I mentioned in the introduction, and Paul is now, he's, he's not just using mushy-gushy words to start the letter, he's now using that first part, very intentional words, to ask for his request. We see Paul has an established relationship here with Philemon. But friends, let's be honest, you see this here, Paul is an apostle. Many of you know what an apostle is, they are not around today in the biblical sense, but Paul is an apostle. He is one who has seen the risen Jesus with his own eyes. Apostles passed away when John died at that point. So Paul has the authority. Paul has the, uh, the, the position to go to Philemon and say, look, Onesimus was converted, take him back because God, I am God's man, you can do this. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul could call on him to respect him and just make that decision for him. But Paul was writing from a Roman prison, and the very thought of that had to weigh on Philemon. So when Paul asked Philemon to forgive Onesimus, he doesn't just come out and say, do it because I said do it. He asked because of love. Look back at verse 8, if you notice that. He said, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you what is required. Paul knows his authority is from God. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Friends, there's a lesson in there for us right there. Do you have something, someone in your life that you know that can command you, but at the same time pull your heartstrings, so to speak, or press the right buttons in a godly way to push you to do something God would have you to do? 
Many of you have someone like that. Call it a mentor, call it a, a discipler, whatever it is. But look how gently, how tenderly, and, and I think out of love, as it says here, Paul does this. And, you know, I think there's a lesson here for us. There's always a balance to these things. But if you want to help someone else do the right thing, it is rarely the right thing simply to order them to do it. Now, I know all the parents in the room are saying, oh, boy, the pastor just gave my kids a free pass when I discipline them. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying, if you're a manager at work, if you are a parent, if you are someone in authority, and we all have authority somewhere, even if it's just in the home, it is better for people who work for you or who are under your authority in some way to understand what you are doing and to own that and see the good way you're asking them firmly, but with gentleness, love, and tenderness. Same ways at home, same ways in marriage, same ways in church. You know, a lot of people would say, Pastor, you can just make all the decisions. That's why we have committees here at the church. That's why we, 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 we elect and we pray for deacons and, and godly people to lead this church. Because, friends, this is not about the pastor or the staff. This is about the church body under God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it this way, first application point. He said, a man is more easily drawn than pushed. Parents, are you cringing yet? Youth, this does not mean that you get a free pass to have your parents. Look, parents, you know you have to discipline your children if you have children of that age. You can't just let them pass. Well, if you don't want to clean your room, that's okay. You know, I'm appealing out of love, so, you know, not at all. But if you are a boss, if you're someone in authority today, how do you use that authority? Do you use it like Paul, knowing that you have that authority, but pray for wisdom to apply it in a certain way? You know, sometimes when you're talking with people at home, it is just the fact that you're saying the right words at the right moment at the right time. Would you agree with that? Friends, how you treat those annoying coworkers, those annoying, okay, let's be honest here, it's Thanksgiving week, those annoying family members reflect how you have been served by Christ. You know, when they say pass the turkey, I don't want you to go home and say, well, I command you, it's my house, pass the turkey. But I'm going to appeal out of love. No, that's not what he's saying. But you see the difference there as he prays for that. Do you think God might find you or me difficult? But at the same time, God tenderly, but with intentionality, brings us to bear with our sin. And at times, God will lay the hammer down, but oftentimes it's just the subtle ways through God's Holy Spirit that he brings us to himself. And that's exactly what Paul's asking Philemon to do. He even says, in one translation, says what he ought to do. He didn't command him. He did it out of love. But, you know, it's interesting here because Paul, if you really read the New Testament, Paul really does give a lot of liberty for Christian things. Paul will often say, I think this is better, but each man will answer to the Lord. But Paul does not do that with the gospel. Paul is very clear about the firm foundational truths of what we believe. So he doesn't order Philemon, but he appeals on the basis of love. What an amazing picture that is in Christianity. Friend, think about the world religions we have around the world today. People out of fear, with respect, are killing themselves in the name of religion because they believe that's what a man told them to do because they commanded them to do it. But we Christians understand that God himself. Yes, he does direct us, but he often does it with the gentle hand of a good shepherd, knowing the right time, at the right place, at the right position to do that. And that's the second application point. Worldly status does not reflect spiritual authority. Those people who command people to do terrible things in the name of religion have a worldly status, 
But in the Bible's eyes, they don't have a spiritual authority. And church, as Christians, we respect authority from the government. I hope you do that. I hope you're paying your taxes. I hope you're rendering unto Caesars what is Caesars and the Lord's what is Lord's. But we also understand that we do not expect any election, any uh, governmental thing to take care of the problems of this world. Yes, God uses those. But at the end of it, know that there is a faithful Christ. Know that there is a faithful God who can sort things out. His name is Jesus, the name above all names, the name at which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that who is Lord? That Jesus is Lord. And the point is that we are ones who are under ultimate authority, and Paul gets that. He gets that he's under authority, but at the same time, he knows that his allegiance is to call Philemon to reconcile this relationship, to reconcile. Husbands, can I ask you today, if you're married or even if you're older in your marriage, do you serve your wife and model Christ's love to her as Paul does right now to Philemon? Do you model to her Christ's love so that other husbands, men, can look at you and say, boy, he's not perfect, but I love how he treats his wife. He's firm, but he knows when at the appropriate time to bring in the tenderness and love. Parents, do your children better understand the gospel by how husbands especially you treat your wife? Wives, do your children better understand the gospel by how you treat your husband? Single people, if you're here today and single, do people look at your life and say, you know, they're not married, and they try and set them up on dates. That happens when you're single in a church. Do they look at your life and say, man, that's the gospel in action? Repentance through faith was shown in Paul's example. Friends, Paul was helping Onesimus be reconciled to Philemon. And it started, it started with the remembrance that Paul himself had once killed the very people he's now trying to bring together. Last application point in this first major point is this. We are reconciled to reconcile. We have been saved to help others be reconciled. You know, oftentimes the one question that is lacking for many people when they go through a hard time, sometimes myself included, is God, I'm going through this really tough time. What do you want me to get out of this? Lord, what do you want me to do with this hard time I'm in? You know, let me give you a picture into our, our, our son's room, if you will. Our son right now, for whatever reason, daylight savings time, does not want to go to sleep without us in his room. There's a whole thing with his autism and all that stuff. But one thing I can say is uh, if you could try and call me from like 7 to 8.30, I probably won't answer. I'm playing dead on my son's floor, acting like I'm asleep, you know, whoosh, whoosh. And it works. It works. After an hour and a half, it finally works. But, you know, it does. Ask Steve Braden. He's tried to call me three times at that time. I haven't answered him any time during that frame. But one thing I've realized at this point is, God, what do you want me to do this hard time? Hour and a half every night, my wife or myself, we're trying to pray during that time. We can close our eyes and think to ourselves and pray. How can you redeem the time of the hard times you're in? Friend Philemon was in a tough spot. Paul was going to appeal to him to bring back someone who had really wronged him, but he had to remember that he was reconciled, he was saved to reconcile others. And friend, that may be the one thing God has put you in a hard place to be. He may have put you in a hard relational issue because of the very fact that you are the, the glue, so to speak, or the go-between, the conduit between two opposing parties. You may be used in that way. You know, back in 2001, I, I, I remember this story from high school, uh, my senior year, right before 9-11, and it came out of Washington State, and you'll see the picture of this lady up here, but it's a, about a woman who stood posed to jump from the Interstate 5 bridge in Seattle, Washington. And it's a story about how anger often robs us of compassion. 
And, and this 26-year-old was desperate. She was ready to end her life. She was just going to be done with life. And it caused a massive traffic jam. And if you read the stories from that day, you will hear people just honking their horns. What's the problem here? What's the problem? And they yelled for her actually to jump off the bridge so they could get across the bridge and go to wherever they were going. Isn't that crazy? And the fall, she eventually jumped and thankfully didn't kill her. It was 160 foot. She landed in that icy cold water even in August in Seattle. But friends, it reminds me of James 1.20. When the misery of others ignites selfish anger within us, we can be certain it's not of God. And friends, Philemon had every right to be angry. Onesimus, you left me. Onesimus, you, 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 you didn't do, you just left me. What were you thinking? But Paul is calling him here to trust him enough that this reconciliation would happen. And that's what he's calling him to do. You know, I would be uh, remiss as a pastor not to mention this. Many of you may have perhaps grown children, maybe even younger children, who have walked away from the faith they once professed and you thought possessed. Maybe there's an authority being questioned. What do you do when someone who you know, like Onesimus, runs away? Let me just give you just a few things, I think. First, when you have these talks with your siblings, or maybe it's a sister, maybe it's a brother, maybe it's just someone you love that says, I used to know Christ, but I don't now. There's a good friend in my life that this just happened to who I discipled for seven years, and he's now renounced the faith, walked away. I don't want to be a Christian anymore, Darren. What do you do with those people? First, you need to point them to Christ. Just like Paul is doing here with Philemon, point them to Christ, and that's your foundation. Second, you pray. Only God can save your son or daughter or your wayward person in your life. Only God can do that through the power of prayer and his sovereignty. And don't be afraid to say something's wrong. You know, as our pastor's kids, someone will come up and say, you have perfect kids. I hope no one said that. We don't have perfect kids. But friends, you need to acknowledge that something is wrong. And if your child is an unbeliever, don't ignore it. The holidays may be easier, but let's be honest here, eternity won't be. Don't put the big elephant in the room in the closet. Acknowledge it, but do it with gentleness and respect. And can I also say, if you have a wayward child who is not walking with the Lord, don't expect them to be Christ-like. If your son is not, or daughter is not a Christian, he or she's not going to act like one. I hope, you know, this is trite, but, you know, a, a duck doesn't quack like a, a dog doesn't quack like a duck. Does that make sense? Too many language books at home. But uh, <laughs> nighttime reading at our house. But welcome them home. Welcome them home. Yes, there are times, obviously, when you have to say, don't come to this house if you are fill-in-the-blank dangerous, fill-in-the-blank addiction, fill-in-the-blank whatever. But friends, let them know that door is open. Plead with them more than you rebuke them. Plead with them. Respect their friends. You know, if your son is bringing the 20th girlfriend in 20 days that you may never see, just remember that you're not the only parent in that equation. There's also a wayward daughter or whatever the case may be that's attached to your child. Use technology. Point them to Christ. If you've read something in the Bible, share it on Facebook if that's what you do. Share it through email. Call them, but ultimately point them to Christ. Isn't that what Paul did? He pointed them to Christ. I pray for those of you who are struggling with this. Many of you have grown children who have walked away. Friends, this is a prayer that they would come back. That's the first point, the longest point, but that's the point. Second, we saw Paul's example here of repentance through faith. Now I want to look at Onesimus himself. Look back at verses 10 and 13 with me if you have your Bible open. Paul says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, for my child Onesimus. 
This may seem like an unlikely thing. Why is Paul taking his time? The Apostle Paul. Many of you grew up with Billy Graham. Billy Graham used to be America's pastor. I don't know if we have America's pastor now, if that's possible. But one thing Billy Graham used to be is whether you were secular or, or sacred or Christian or not, you knew who Billy Graham was. And many of you who are of the generation know that. But why would a Billy Graham type like the Apostle Paul, a big guy in the Christian world, take time to spend reconciling with a slave? But isn't that the picture of what God has always done? The down and out, the downcast, the downtrodden, those who, the wimpy kids, the not so great in this world. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians says? God has made the wisdom of this world foolish. The nation of Israel were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. But what did God do? He used them. What did God do through uh, that episode? It wasn't the Egyptians' power. It wasn't their power. It was God's power. And I think what Paul is telling us here as we look to forgiveness is we have to remember this as we face hard times. Paul's in prison, and this is one thing I want you to understand. First application point. We will not be comforted in big trials if we have a small Christ. We will not be comforted in trials if we have a small Christ. Friends, Paul knows that his God is so big so big that he can reconcile Philemon, he can reconcile Onesimus, even though he is in prison. And we see here that Paul is talking about a joy of being in prison. Isn't that a weird contradiction? Friends, is your joy based on circumstances this morning? Is your joy based on what is happening in front of you? If you had to lay down on the floor for an hour and a half, uh, I have not been joyous through this time, please believe me. But if you had to lay down the floor for an hour and a half and it wasn't joyous, would our joy be based on the circumstance or would it be based on that? Friend, we don't derive our joy from circumstances. We derive it from the fact that we know that God is in control. God is in charge. God is the one who knows all things. And what can you do if your joy is often based on how people around you feel or spouse, if your wife's having a good day or, or vice versa? Friends, be patient. And you will always outlast your troubles. Isn't that true? Just when the, the time looks like it's going to break, God provides a way. And there may be things in your life that are really a big deal. And friends, there are. There are. But I want you to know that when Christ has done for us, though, is the greatest big deal. Why do we talk about the gospel here so much? Why do we always talk about what Christ has done? It's because in those times when joy for you may be based on what other people feel or what your circumstances are or your bank account is, friends, the joy is found in what Christ has done for us 2,000 years ago and is still doing through the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Other circumstances are important, but they fail in comparison. But what if Paul got up and he said, look, I'm in prison. Come save me. Come save me. Come save me. God, why did you put me here? But what a great change. He, he, he accepts his circumstances, and he calls Onesimus not a problem, not just someone to get rid of, but he calls him his son in the faith. Onesimus had come to Christ through Paul in prison. Not physically. This is not his physical son, illegitimate child. This is his spiritual son. But Paul knew that Philemon not, may not have been happy with Onesimus. He knows that. He knows that. And so he uses a phrase there in verse 11. If you look there, he says, Formerly, Onesimus was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. What a testimony of the power of God. What a testimony of what repentance does, change of heart does. Onesimus is a common Greek name. Most, uh, it's like John. You know, my dad's name is John Smith. 
I can't tell you how many times, even in the 60s, he gets carded. Is that really your name? Yeah, it's John Smith. And Onesimus is kind of that common name. But Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. Now, I read someone who wrote this. He said, was Paul a bounty hunter? Was Paul trying to collect a bounty on Onesimus's head to pay some bills? No. Onesimus sought Paul out to help him reconcile with his owner. Onesimus had probably heard about Paul through the preaching of the gospel and, and all these things going on, and he went to prison to find Paul. How ironic is it that a slave went into prison to find true freedom through salvation? That's the second application point. God majors in doing things that we find unlikely. God majors in that. I think many of you are a testimony of that, aren't you? Many of you whose circumstances should have seen you in a, in a jail cell or possibly even dead, God has brought you back to life. Not always an easy road, but he has been faithful to you. He's been good to you. And God does that all the time. Isn't it amazing that God delights to act in surprising ways to us all the time? Surprising to us, but not to him. It brings more glory to God because something other than a human power is at work. But Paul was in prison. There was an old, I just want to share this little bit of history with you just to, to put this in context. There was an old Roman law that said if a runaway slave found a friend of the slave owner, the friend of the slave owner could be a mediator between the two parties and help reconcile them. Onesimus went to Paul to reconcile his relationship legally with Philemon. But what happened to him? He became Christian. Friend, don't think that the small things and people that come to your life are anything but what God is using to bring about his glory in someone else's life and even your life. Friend, as a pastor, it is a great joy of ours, of Matt's, of Blake's, to see people grow in Jesus Christ. If you, you know, we pray for people all the time and even seeing just a little bitty progress. You know what it does to you? It just makes you want to jump for joy, doesn't it? Jump high. Jump for joy. And Paul knew that when Philemon was, or when Onesimus came to him legally, that he could help him. He could have kept his mouth shut about Jesus Christ. He could have done the legal duty thing. But he didn't stop there. Paul said, look, if you want to be reconciled, Onesimus, to your master, then you have to leave that bad old master called sin for Christ. And that's the third point. He left that bad old master for Christ. He left the, uh, the non-Christian ways, and he was now a Christian. And non-Christian, if you're here today, we are so glad you are. God converted this man who didn't know what he was looking for to someone that now had it in Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, I want you to know that God loves you so much that while we were yet sinners, he died for you. And friend, if you do not know Christ, we would love to talk to you about it. And this is another thing, I want. just another little side note here. Parents, children, if you're praying for someone, we've mentioned this several times in my few months here, but only God can change hearts. Only God can change hearts. If you have a wayward son or daughter, if you have a wayward whatever in your life, God changes hearts, not you. doesn't mean you stop, but Paul is saying, remember this, it is God's work of salvation from beginning to end, no more and no less. And if you're a visitor here today, we are so, Matt, can I use your word? We are so super excited, super stoked, Matt, that I love making fun of him, and I love him. I know. I, I give him a hard time all the time. But seriously, we are happy that you are here. 
But I want to let you know something unique about our church. I pray it's unique to every Christian church. We want to not treat you like a commodity, like, uh, like a number here. We want to treat you like a person. But we also want to be honest with you about sin. We want to be honest with you about uh, that Jesus is the answer to that sin. That we want to explain and pray for you and love you. But we're not going to do a high-pressure salesman tactic. Hey, do you want to come to know Jesus? Well, come up here and uh, uh, I'll, I'll make you a Christian right now. I would rather you wait months, if that's what it takes, for you to come to see your sin before a holy God than to force your hand in making a decision for Jesus Christ. We don't want a decision that's vague and flippant, but well thought out and serious. Because we believe that God changes people and saves this moment of time for that. I'll share this story about Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. You'll see his picture up here. Old famous preacher. Uh, John Higgins, I know you're very familiar with him or, or some of his teachings. We've talked about him. Dr. Lloyd-Jones was a preacher, a former medical doctor who became a preacher, pastor. And one time he was giving an altar call after the service, and a man came up to him and said, Doctor, if you would have asked me to stay last night at the service before this one, I would have become a Christian. And the doctor said, No. Why would you come? Why don't you come right now to talk about Jesus? And the man said, No, no, no. If you would have asked me 12 hours ago last night, I would have become a Christian. True story here. And, he, and Dr. Jones said, if, if what happened to you last night didn't last for 24 hours, I'm not interested in with you coming to me right now. You don't have the true thing. You don't see the real need for Christ. Friends, that's why at this church, we do not high-pressure sales tactic people. And if you know someone in your life that you, you, you know, I used to, full disclosure here, you ready? Can I show you an open book in my past? Okay, you all looking at me funny, but that's okay. Full disclosure, we used to take gospel tracts and put them in the pop, you know, the cans of 24 packs. We'd open the slit and go to grocery stores and, and put them in there. We used to go around to mailboxes against all federal regulations and put them in mailboxes. We'd put them in toilet stalls we, for good reading, of course. We would put them on gas station pumps. And my heart was right. We wanted to see people come to Christ. But the one thing we, we didn't realize is that God is the mover of the heart. It is okay to hand out a track. Yes, please hand out tracks. But I want you to know that it is not you putting a track at a perfect place at a perfect time. It is God's working through hearts that reconciles people to himself. And if you are here today and you need to know that encouragement, then maybe that's what it is. Because Paul knew, Paul knew that the only way Onesimus and Philemon could come together is if Onesimus knew Christ. And he did. That was repentance through faith. Let's close with the last point. We've seen that God has worked through the example of Paul to show repentance through faith. We've seen through Onesimus, and finally, verses 15 and 16. I want you to see God's character at work, his purposes. Look back at verses 15 and 16. For this is perhaps why that Onesimus was parted from you, Philemon, for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, how much, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Friends, God is good and kind, didn't he? Amen? And he may use it to help us remind us how much more is going on than we can see. And to remind us how much patience he's shown us in our stubbornness. How much he's waited kindly and persevered. Friend, if you're a Christian here today, can you just praise God that he's been patient with you? Can you just praise God that he's given you patience upon patience upon patience? 
his purposes in working in your life. Think, some of you have, uh, some of you, uh, your testimony is perhaps that you heard the gospel as a kid, heard it as a teenager, you've heard it through other people, and, and finally it seems like after years and years and years, it just all made sense. The button clicked, the light went on, whatever you want to call it. Friends, that is what God does. And he did this through Onesimus and, and Philemon. But Christian, do you believe that God came in Christ to give you a full and abundant life? Do you believe that? He did. He did. And we sometimes think Jesus just brought rules and obligations and duties, and he certainly did, but our perception is wrong. The world says uh, a life lived to excess is worth it, that going and getting smoke drunk on the weekends and showing up on Sunday for church and getting it all right but living like the devil, so to speak, the rest of the six days, whoo, that's where it's all at. Friends, Jesus didn't come to take away our freedoms, but he came to remind us that life is lived in him when we are reminded about what he has done for us in Christ and all those little steps along the way that he showed us. Many of you had faithful Sunday school teachers, faithful people in your life who you can look back to and a name comes to mind and you think, wow, thank you for fill in the blank. Thank you, Lord, for sending that person at that time. Isn't it amazing that Paul was in prison at the same time Philemon, uh, sorry, Onesimus was looking to be reconciled legally at least for Philemon. Don't ever think, can I ask you to erase at least two or three words out of your vocabulary? You ready? Luck, chance, and by chance. Throw those words out. Christian, we believe, we believe that God is sovereign, that he is working through the every detail of our lives for his purpose. You are not here today by accident. You are here today because God has given you a purpose to be here. Yes, many of you, it's your routine, but aren't you grateful God gave you the routine to be here on a Sunday morning? I hope so. I really do hope so. Friends, and he says, he goes on, he says, a little while and forever. Uh, you know, this phrase here in verse 15, it, uh, it's, it's basically meaning that he says, perhaps why he's parted from you a while, that you might have him back forever. This is referring to the fact that there was a physical break in their relationship. Onesimus and Philemon were separated. They were no longer master and slave. But Onesimus, it seems, needs that forgiveness. And so now that he has been forgiven, Onesimus, he's now become a Christian. It has now become a catalyst for this relationship to get even stronger. It's moved from a legal contract, lawyers and all. It's moved to now a spiritual contract, brother and sister and all. And God was acting in this. He left a slave, but he came back a brother. He left someone different, but he came back to be in all in the family, so to speak. This is the same God. If you remember, some of you have been growing up in church, the story of Joseph. You remember the story, don't you? Genesis 37 through 50. Jo jo Joseph was probably most likely the prideful kid. with the, He was the family favorite, and he was the kid you always wanted to beat up, but your mom told you not to. He was that kid. And they did. They really did. They threw him in a pit, his brothers. They left him. They sold him off in slavery. But God used that terribleness, Genesis 50, 20, what they meant for evil, his brothers, God used for good. And that's the same, the true with the cross. People thought Jesus was coming to be a political revolutionary, uh, whatever, and they nailed him to a cross. All looked hopeless. But praise God, three days later, he rose again, and he lives again, and he lives to this day. And that is the greatest hope in all your problems, folks. God is always active in a way we don't fully understand. Onesimus was no longer a slave but a brother. It was God's Holy Spirit who converted him now, but Onesimus has a better status. 
He's not just a slave. He's a slave brother. He's not just a slave to Philemon. He's now a slave to Christ. And friends, if your identity is wrapped up in your work, if your identity is whatever you think you achieve best at, throw that out with the hogwash. Your identity is found, as Onesimus found, only in Christ. Now, does this mean that Christianity is advocating for slavery? Please, no. Uh, with respect to many who've written about this, Christianity does not advocate slavery at all. How in any religion could you have a slave be your brother? Think about that for a second. Paul gave very explicit instructions. I won't read this for sake of time, but you can look this up and write it down if you're curious. Slavery is an ultimate, but freedom is preferable. 1 Corinthians 7, 21 through 23, and 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 10. Paul was writing to the conditions of the time. Slaves, one-third of the Romans back then were slaves. One-third of the known world were slaves. They, either because of debt, or they were conquered, or kidnapped. But Christians were different. Listen to this, folks. Christians were different because they welcomed slaves as a full member of the congregation. And you know, in history, we know that some of the Roman emperors thought this was just nuts. That there could be a master sitting uh, beside a slave, and they could share the same cup in communion or Lord's Supper. And yet, they're brothers at the same time. How revolutionary was that? As you pray about things like Syrian refugees, and I'm not, friends, I'm just praying that you would pray for God's wisdom for that. But I want you to know that you pray that God would use our congregation to welcome those, anyone who walks in the store, but holding fast to God's word, right? We never settle for anything less. But knowing that this has been the pattern of Christianity from the very start, that it's always been topsy-turvy with Christianity. It's always been that way. Friends, governments don't bring really real change. Christ does. Not wishful thinking. It is Christ, and that's what God had it to be. So our forgiveness, our forgiveness here from Christ should determine how we should forgive others. Friends, if you have been forgiven in Christ, that should be your catalyst for forgiving other people. The heart is the battleground for forgiveness. If you're here today and someone has truly repented and you say, no, I'm not going to forgive them. Friends, you are in sin. Forgiveness is only done when you realize that you have accepted God's forgiveness. And you may have to accept someone else. Look, I am not downplaying what may have happened. Some of you have been through some seriously tough stuff. You have been through abuse on the physical, emotional, and sexual side. Some of you have been wronged so many ways, we could not even write a book about it. Hollywood wouldn't even know what to do with your story because it's that crazy. And it, it actually happened, but it's just crazy how it all went together. But friends, we can't forgive just because it's been commanded, but because we've been born again. That's how we forgive. And as we come to Christ, we trust God. If you're having a hard time this morning, would you pray? Would you pray, pray? And that may take hours, years of prayer, but would you ask God to help your heart? I'm going to end with this. Uh, many of you have heard the old song. Blake, and I didn't even ask about this song. It dawned on me when I had this illustration. Old song called God Moves in Mysterious Ways. Anyone ever heard that song before? Wow, Blake, I think we have a, t uh, a couple hands go up. Blake, I think we got a new song after Christmas for us. Let me read you this line. William Cooper had lost his family, the hymn writer. In the great tragedy, I believe it was a boating accident, he lost most of his family. And these are the words that he penned. Christian man, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. 
He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. O fearful saints, new courage take. The clouds you now dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. And I like this next line. He says, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. But God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Friends, many of you today have something in your heart, something in your life, someone, something that you are harboring. That providence, that frown, that, that it looks so terrible, may be the bright, greatest blessing of releasing someone to Christ and saying, I, you hurt me, but I forgive you. I'll never let it, I, 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 I can't, it's not that easy pass, but I forgive you in Christ. Please, I'm not downplaying forgiveness. I'm not saying it's just, oh, forgive and forget. But friend, if you are harboring something in your heart, for someone or something that you need to forgive, would you ask the Lord to help you work through that? Maybe it is a wayward child. Maybe it is a wayward friend. Maybe it is a way, I, I don't know. Maybe it's something that happened in this church five days ago, five minutes ago. Maybe the pastor looked at you funny because you were, I don't know. I don't know. Crazier things have happened. But friend, if you are the big idea, if you're reluctant to forgive those who repent, you may prove that you truly have not experienced God's forgiveness. Would you pray for wayward Christians? But remember this, God is faithful. God is faithful. Let's go before him in prayer as we close today.